he was the most frightening person I have ever met. And bear in mind, I was once stuck in a lift with Mad Frankie Fraser for three hours. And there was a man who didn't like confined spaces, I can tell you. I've never seen rage in anyone like I saw in him. Now he had evil inside of him. Absolute, pure evil. If he liked you, that was a blessed relief. See, I'd seen him try and rip someone's ear off just for daring to comment about his call I once saw him kick a lawyer in the throat and then attempt to skin him alive with a letter opener. It still haunts me to this day. He had the most impeccable table manners of any inmate in Pentonville. It was a joy to watch him eat lunch. He's the most unique criminal I've ever come into contact with in all my years as a barrister and a judge on the Queen's bench. Such a strange boy. He was haunted almost. Oh, he put the willies right up me. And I placed my thumbs over each other's eyes. I slowly began to squeeze, and I carried on squeezing harder and deeper, harder, feeling his eyeballs squishy. My name is Magnus Finch. I'm a writer, a journalist and broadcaster. For as long as I can remember, I've been consumed with a desire to unearth original and compelling stories. Over the past few decades, I've highlighted corruption at the highest level of politics, injustices in the legal system, corporate irresponsibilities at boardroom level, and international animal rights abuses. But nothing can beat the thrill you get unearthing a story about a character that is so engrossing and utterly unique, unlike anyone else that you've come across before. That sort of story and character comes along once on a blue moon, if you're lucky. A couple of years ago, thanks to a work colleague who was emigrating, I received some old boxes, uh, one of which contains a series of forthright interviews with an extraordinary character. He was called Queenie. How had such a notorious and unique character remained so completely under the radar? He was last sighted at a bare-knuckle boxing fight in Gravesend, Kent in 2010, following his last known prison term in Belmarsh, a Category A jail, where he was incarcerated for five years. There have been no recorded sightings since this incident, though with no official death certificate or any other recent sightings. The question of where is Queenie now still hangs in the air. You remember in the last episode, Queenie himself described a generally happy childhood, being brought up as an only child in a house that was more stately home on a sprawling English country estate in Lincolnshire. A house so impressive that it was open to visitors, even boasting its own gift shop. He was schooled at some of the finest establishments money could have provided and mixed in rarefied circles. So... What of the family history? I thought it was time to delve a little deeper and to build up a wider picture of the Small Bridge family. Episode 2 Meet the Family. 
first titled ancestor was Percy Smallbridge, born in 1685 and who acquired the title of Baron in 1722. By all accounts, a highly skilled craftsman whose firm of gunmakers became one of the country's most successful. Thanks to a commission from the army, the Smallbridge musket was used by the British cavalry for almost a hundred years. Percy accrued a tidy fortune, and until the mid-19th century, their hunting rifles rivaled those made by Purdy and are highly collectible today, often fetching eye-watering amounts in auction houses. It was the association with the British Army which led to George III knighting him and then bestowing the title of First Baron of Billingborough to Sir Percy. He chose for his ancestral seat the village of Billingborough in Lincolnshire, the reason being it was attractive, it was productive, and chiefly, it was cheap. Percy had a big bag of cash to splash, and he wanted the very best, or at least somewhere he could maximise his profit. World-renowned architect Sir John Vanborough was commissioned to design and build an impressive country house fit for a baron. Here Queenie himself talks about his family to my colleague Grant McGregor, who initially conducted these interviews over a period of time between 2001 and 2003. My family were initially in gun manufacture and successful for a great many years. However, a series of mishaps with later versions of the small bridge muskets resulted in regrettably shrapnel in the face, missing digits and a few entirely preventable deaths. And did this taint the family name? I should cook it was apparent that the company were cutting costs in an attempt to maximise their profits. For a while, the name of Smallbridge stank. The family fortune dwindled, and it was Baron Rees Smallbridge, a young entrepreneur, born at the very end of the 18th century, who took the family into an entirely different arena, that of making couture dresses for the upper classes. So the Smartbridge name became a house of couture design? For quite a few years, decades in fact. From all over Europe they flocked to his shop on South Audley Street in Mayfair. The speciality in the mid-1800s were dresses of a bright green hue. What you must remember is that green was all the rage for many, many years at high society balls. So Smallbridge and High Society were inextricably linked. And they were... Just. Once again, a series of deaths caused almost irreparable damage to the family name. This time, however, it was women of great standing, not just rank-and-file cavalrymen. I should point out the signs behind these deaths. The green dye so coveted in the fashion world, could only be made using a key ingredient, arsenic, a particularly deadly poison. It's truly baffling that the potential dangers to human life were largely ignored in the name of fashion. People were literally dying because of the dying. But as long as it looked good, to hell with the consequences, which included scabs and sores wherever it touched naked flesh. It could also make your hair fall out, and in some cases could cause the wearer to vomit blood before shutting down their livers and kidneys. Still, at least, they look good. 
So in the first hundred years of the Smallbridge family existence, there were already a couple of large-scale scandals that shook the family and society to the core. And then the newspapers, well, they loved a bit of family tittle-tattle even back then, especially if the family were landed gentry. With the advent of the Victorian era, the family did everything they could to keep a low profile, concentrating their efforts on becoming a successful farming family, with the estate expanding and employing a healthy local workforce, and fortune smiled on them throughout the trauma of the two world wars. However, in the 1960s, farming on the estate was blighted by poor yields for many years, the almost catastrophic outbreak of foot and mouth disease in 1967, and most worrying, a spate of accidents with machinery that led to the loss of limbs and three deaths within a 10-year period. The estate was nicknamed Kellingborough Farm, and as his fortune dwindled, so too did the fabric of the house. By the early 1970s, it was in desperate need of repair. The worse things got, the more Queenie's father, Hubert, the 10th Baron of Billingborough, just sank with it. His drinking worsened, and for several years he was attempting to use his title for personal gain to increase his line of credit at various private casinos in central London in an effort to bolster the family coffers. As the general downturn of fortunes was occurring, so too was the marriage between Hubert and Queenie's mother, Petronella. We know that Queenie, even as a young boy, felt let down, disgusted even by his father's treatment of his mother. Here we can hear him talking about the misuse of his father's title for his own gain. Hubert was a ne'er-do-well, a self-serving narcissist who used a family title for his own ludicrous gain in the private casinos and clubs of Pall Mall. He was wrenching what little cachet the name still held in high society, and for what? We would say it was to turn around the family fortune, but he didn't care an iota for the family name. It was a good fuel his pathetic addiction to fine wines and becquerel, which by the time I was born was well and truly out of control and showed no signs of evading. In a very short time, he was persona non grata in most of the establishments he had frequented for decades. And whilst this embarrassing shower of events all to slake his addiction to booze and gambling, well, while it was occurring, he was sleeping with the Russian harlot. And I had to witness the horrific fallout that this grotesque affair was having on dear Mama. Putting aside the tainting of the family name, thanks to petty cheating and gambling debts and uncouth alcoholic displays, the wearing of the title of Baron Smallbridge of Billingborough would have been akin to wearing a shell suit onesie to Glyndebourne. I talked to psychiatrist Nigel Puse to get his opinion. It is no greater testament to Queenie's love and respect for his mother, Petronella, than that of foregoing his title. Now, this feels almost medieval in its chivalry. Not only is it wholly honourable, but let's be honest, it is a very unusual thing to do. And, of course, it occurs at a key point in his life. Absolutely. 
they're around the age of 18 or 19 when he was going up to university, to Balliol College in Oxford. This would have been when many young men would have played up the importance of a title, you know, where he could have flaunted it like his father did, as a calling card to gain some sort of increased social status, to elevate themselves further up the ladder. But Queenie didn't want to do this. And it's honourable, and I have to say, rather impressive. Like so many young boys of his class, Queenie was farmed off to boarding school at an unfathomably young age, only seven years old. It's a practice that's been described as old-fashioned, cold, barbaric by friends and colleagues I've known who've also been through this traumatic childhood rite of passage. So it's certainly not unusual. But with Queenie, the experience was a little different because... Well, Queenie could sing. He could sing very well. His talents were recognised at this young age and he received a place at the highly prestigious Salisbury Cathedral School as a chorister. By all accounts, and looking at the written reports from his first years there, it appears that young Horatio Smallbridge, still the 11th Baron Smallbridge of Billingborough, was excelling at school and loving being a boy soprano chorister. His matron, Eleanor Richmond, a sprightly woman in her 80s, recounts an incident which, once again, could be a contributing factor in just why Queenie turned out the way that he did. I can remember Horatio as a lovely boy and happy. Bear in mind, I saw countless young boys arrive at Salisbury with separation anxiety, almost bereft at the absence of parents in their lives. But not so Horatio. He seemed to thrive by himself. And we shouldn't forget his talent. Oh, my, he was a star. He was in possession of the most Perfect soprano voice. You think Ali Jones sounded sweet? It was like an angry Nick nose by comparison to Horatio. <laughs> you mentioned to me in our phone conversation about a particular incident which you think affected him deeply. Yes, well, I was called to the gymnasium during a physical education class, being taught by Mr Jolly... If ever there was a misnomer, it was his miserable, sadistic git. There was always a worry when I had to leave sickbay. When I arrived, there were a gang of boys surrounding Horatio, who was lying on the ground, clutching his throat in agony. I realised what an inventive vocabulary he possessed, even at the age of nine. <laughs> So what had happened? Seemingly, what had occurred, according to the boys, was that Mr Jolly was chasing a few of them around the gymnasium with a hockey stick. This was his chosen method of making them run quicker. Fill them with fear. That was the jolly way. Anyway, 
as he swung the stick back to strike a boy on the back of the legs, he caught Horatio running the other way, right in the throat. He dropped to the floor like a sack of potatoes. Christ. And was Mr Jolly reprimanded for that? Oh, please. The teachers had a carte blanche to do as they pleased, with impunity. They'd never have believed children over the testament ever trusted teacher. Well, Horatio recovered soon after, but there was damage done to his larynx, and that affected his singing. He sounded like a coffee grinder on the blink after that. Awful it was. Really knocked the boy's confidence. He became angry. You could see it in his eyes. The last couple of years at Salisbury, he was very withdrawn. You could tell something wasn't right. We know how deeply connected Queenie felt to his mother, certainly later on in his teenage years, as his father began to slip further into alcoholism and debt, seeking solace in his Russian concubine. There were also two other strong female figures in his life, the first was a younger cousin with whom he was especially fond of. He mentions her here very briefly in an interview with Grant. Despite being my aristocracy with their brutally edited like rampant bunny rabbits, our family tree was barely fecund and bore very little fruit. Mama's sister, Persephone, was mother to dear Thomasina. She had a brother who was older than I, so it was Thomasina whom I adored. Christmases, family events would be the chance to live out little fantasies together. She was my plaything. I cherished her. Such pale beauty. Losing her was so very, very difficult. And that was it. That was the only mention of Cousin Thomasina. Her older brother by eight years. It's called Ethelred. I was keen to talk to him to see if he could shed some more light on their relationship and indeed what happened to her. He took some tracking down and after a series of phone calls and emailing various leads, I discovered that Ethelred had moved abroad quite some time ago to run a beachfront bar and tattoo parlour in Goa with his wife, an Australian media heiress. I haven't talked about him for some time, Christ. Look, bear in mind, I left the country in the late 90s and he left a lasting impression. We were cousins, yeah, yeah. But I was older by nearly a decade. So when he was going off to Winchester College where I had to go to school, I'd long gone, left for university. My mother, Persephone, was close to his mother, Petronella. My father worked away on business for much of the time. And Schubert began to withdraw into himself, you know, be, became a gambler and a drinker. They spent a lot of time, Persephone and Petronella. I always said they were like peas in a pot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very good. Very funny. Yeah, Thomas Seenham's... Eight years my junior, but only a few years younger than Queenie. He adored her, doted on her. She was like a doll to him, a delicate, 
plaything. They would cherish dressing up. Can I ask what happened to her? I mean, Queenie in an earlier interview mentions losing her and sort of never mentions her again. Christ, it was awful. She passed away in 1981. She was only 16. It was an aggressive form of leukemia. Hit us all hard, of course. Really affected him. He was Oxford when her passing occurred. And I know there was talk of him dropping out. I think he intended to travel. Uh, yeah, he did visit Sri Lanka at the end of his first year there. Yeah, that was it. Yes, I remember. I think he wanted to stay there. There was a talk of him finding love there. It really wasn't spoken about. Yeah, a rickshaw driver, as I remember. It's ironic that I ended up not too far from Sri Lanka, opened up my uh, my business in Goa. Um, and a second important female in his life as a teenager was the matron at his time at Winchester College. I spoke to Lucilla Duser on the phone from her retirement home in Cornwall. And to be honest, I was happy to leave it there with just a brief phone chat. He was always wanting to be reprimanded. He liked to be a naughty boy. He knew where naughty boys ended up. In detention? Over matron's knee. He liked it there, feeling the gentle pressure of my embonpoint pushing down on his back as I began to spank his body with a wicked keeper's glove. Not a boy, not a boy. Horatio has been a naughty boy. Now, who is next? Have you been a naughty boy, Magnus? Um, no, no, all fine. Here, thank you, thank you very much. Not naughty, no, no, and I appreciate you taking the. Uh, I the think time you to... have. <clears throat> uh, there was one person I was still very keen to sit down with. That was Hubert's former lover, the Russian strumpet, as Queenie refers to her so often, Svetlana. Now in her mid seventies. Still living in Chelsea, married for 25 years to a retired army colonel. We were very active in the local community, and uh, we met at a local coffee shop. When I met Hubert, Horatio's father, he was not a happy man. Where did you meet him? I was working in a club in London, working for events company. I meet many people, many posh people, and most of them make me upset. They were rude. I get very touchy with hands. Grabby, grubby people, you know? But Hubert, I like. He was kind. Drunk, yes, but also kind. He not tried to touch me. Well... Not at first. I could see he was broken man, like old toy left in bottom of cupboard. He was not living his life, but I could see that there was a life still for him to live. All I did was show him how his life could be better spent. With you. 
Da, with me. Queenie has made it very clear in interviews just how he felt about you. Действительно. I know, of course, he blamed me for taking his father away from the family. But family was already broken. Like shitty appliance left on shelf making dust, never working, out of guarantee. Who would want such a thing? And this broken family living in huge house, everything leaking? Including relationship, which was leaking very badly, letting in too much moisture, and it was sinking. Sometimes it isn't always other woman who must shoulder blame. Some of blame must fall at foot of wife. And that would be Petronella. Yes, Petronella. Another ridiculous name, Petronella. <laughs> and in no way a wife. You think she have hobbies like horses or, or gardening? You know what she do? All day, every day? She make mayonnaise. Da, mayonnaise, that's it. All day whisking, 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 making more and more and more, but never eating it. But you know, why, why would you do this? Hmm? If I was psychoanalyzer, I would say the egg yolk was the relationship and the oil was her loveless poison being added to it. But Horatio, or young Queenie, did make it clear that you weren't welcome. We only really met the one time. It was dinner at club in London. Hubert desperately wanted to make things good between us, but his son, Quinny, he had no intention of being a civilized human being. The dinner was disaster. Arguments, food throwing, wine spitting. We tried to make polite conversation. He could not be polite. As soon as mention of engagement happens, he become like animal, like, like wild monkey. Horatio trying to attack me with dessert spoon and Hubert and two waiters having to pull him off and hold him on the floor whilst I was taken from table and put in car. About a month after talking to Queenie's cousin Ethelred, he emailed me out of the blue. Thanks to our conversation, he began going through his own family archives and came across a converted cine film made at Ethelred's 21st birthday in 1975. Speeches are being made by family members. Now, bear in mind that Queenie would have been 13 years old now, just recently started at Winchester College. But here, he gets special mention from his father, Hubert, sounding like he's already availed himself of the refreshment, no doubt on offer. Oh, 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 oh,
Once more. So now we have uh, first hand insight into his own father's public disdain for his own son. And this this is his only child, remember. It's it's cruel, it's utterly unnecessary, and would have no doubt cut deep. You've got a drunk parent publicly ridiculing his only child at a family event. I mean, this is a particularly low blow. And we know the death of the family pet at the hands of young Queenie could have occurred at around this time, although there's no way of knowing exactly when it happened. But if we take into account this awful display of ridicule, it would have certainly made sense. The the young Queenie could have realised that a way to act out revenge would be to kill the family dog so beloved by his father Hubert and add to this the long-term effect of the Mr Jolly throat-jebbing incident and we haven't yet arrived at the appalling demise of his closest relative, his cousin Thomasina. So we're beginning to build up a much deeper, clearer picture of a young, malleable mind that has been shaped into something darker quite possibly sociopathic. So, there you have it. There's a few key incidents of loss and abandonment set against the troubled background with a father that held you in very low regard. Most of your constant relationships are being formed away from the rambling family home, a boarding school, from seven years old. Taking all this into account, is it any wonder that Horatio Smallbridge, the 11th Baron of Billingborough, ended up quite so disturbed and angry. A man that became Queenie, one of Britain's most unlikely violent criminals. Join me, Magnus Finch, for the next instalment when we will be looking more closely at Queenie's first time behind bars. first with voices and music by Steve first additional voices by Debbie Chazen (laughs) 